invocation. It's always a winner with sisters. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, we welcome your presence this day. And we ask you to open our hearts this day to your love, so that we may in turn receive you and love in return as you love us. Our Lady, Seat of Wisdom. In the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. It's a reading from 1 Corinthians. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. There's a story that comes from the, uh, the Eastern tradition. And it's the story of a, a monk who was apparently acquiring this reputation or this notoriety as being a, a holy monk. And so all these people were kind of gathering and he was kind of causing a bit of a stir in the, in the diocese where he was. And so the bishop of that diocese wanted to make a visit to see this monk. But he asked um, a friend of his who was in seminary with him, who was actually a hermit, to come with him to sort of interview this monk. And so the two of them go off and they go to this monastery and they meet this monk and they sit down and they start talking. And this, this hermit starts asking this monk, he says, you know, Father, we have We've heard very uh, beautiful things about what God is doing. And he says, could you just tell us a little bit about what's going on? And so this monk begins to tell them. He says, well, he says, every morning I, I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I pray. He says, I'm never, I'm never late for anything. I do all of my chores perfectly. I only read these certain amount of books. And then he says, you know, I fast three days a week. And on and on and on. And uh, the hermit and the bishop are just listening to him. And after a bit of time, uh, the hermit says, you know, well, thank you, Father. And um, yeah, he just says, God bless you. And he leaves. And so as the bishop and the hermit um, are getting in the car to go home, the bishop is somewhat amazed by this monk. 
And he asked the hermit, he says, so what did you think? And the hermit says, without skipping a beat, he says, he's a phony. And the bishop is like, how could you say that? He's a phony? And the hermit says, he might not be a phony, but he's deeply immature. And the bishop says, how could, you, how could you say that? Didn't you hear all the things that he was doing? And the hermit says to the bishop, he says, bishop, we were speaking to him for 15 minutes. And in those 15 minutes, he said the word I 37 times. He never said the name of Jesus. He never made any reference to God. Never made any reference to God's grace. It was I, I, I. He said, it's still all about him. And then he said, he hasn't fallen in love yet. And it's love, oddly enough, which is what the Lord desires most of us. In Hosea, the Lord says, I desire love and not sacrifice. And without wanting to sound cliche, you know, love is really our vocation. It's not necessarily marriage or religious life, or if we're in religious life, it's not necessarily Franciscan, Benedictine, or whatever it might be. That's the path in which the Lord desires us to walk on in order to love more fully and more deeply. If somebody's called to marriage or for us who are called to religious life, it's because it's here in that vocation with all of its uniqueness, with all of its beauty, but also with all of its challenges, where God is, is, is attempting to expand our hearts so that we can love more deeply. So that we become more like him. Remember in the Gospels when the Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him, Teacher, which is the greatest law? And Jesus sums up all 613 of the Mosaic laws to loving God and loving neighbor. And that can be even reduced to this one word, love. Love is God's law. I think when somebody is uh, maybe younger in, in the faith or even maybe in a vocation, it's very hard to understand this. 
Because I think we begin by, if I just get the externals right, then I'm good, then I'm, then I'm in. Obviously, the externals are important. But externals that lack love really miss the whole point. And sometimes, too, when we're young in, in religious life or even in ministry, we can evaluate success externally. It's easy for us to say that our ministry is successful the more people that are involved. So if I give a talk and there's 500 people, it's like, wow, that was amazing. But if I gave a talk and there was like seven, I'd be disappointed. Sometimes we think that our communities, our communities are successful the more vocations we have. Or I'm growing in holiness if I never get distracted during prayer. Or if I never think bad things. Or if I never struggle with another sister or another brother. And to all those possibilities, I love to ask this question. What scriptural evidence do you have for any of that? Because Jesus says things like, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And he says, a servant is not above his master. If, you have, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his own household? We need to throw the word success away from our relationship with God. This morning we were talking about St. Paul. When I'm having a bad day, I read St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 24 to 29. I highly recommend this passage because this is St. Paul's resume. He talks about what his life is like after he accepts Christ. He talks about imprisonments, beatings, being stoned to death three times, <laughs> not just once, three times, shipwrecked, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, not to mention the heartache he might have experienced when many of his own Pharisees rejected the gospel. And that's only half the list. I couldn't write anymore because it was just too much. So clearly, we cannot evaluate our lives as disciples merely externally. Love, which is God's law, is our only true guide.
You know, Charles de Foucault, I think he's blessed, blessed now, but he felt inspired to leave the Trappists to begin this new community. And he was sure God was calling him to this. And there wasn't one person who joined him. He didn't get any vocations until he died. But yet he, he persevered in love. Am I loving the people that God is sending me to minister to? Whether it's five people or 500. Am I loving the people that I share life with? Whether in community or friendships or strangers. Am I persevering in prayer regardless of distractions or maybe even a lack of desire or whatever else I might be experiencing? These, I believe, are the questions that really matter because they have love God at the center. St. Paul says, if I do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I don't have love, I'm just noise. There is so much noise in the world. So love must be the foundation of our lives. But what does this look like? You know, Jesus says, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so love, at least according to Jesus, is the total gift of ourselves to another. But as always with God, there's a catch. And here's the catch. This total gift of ourselves to another is meant to occur regardless of our feelings, of our preferences, of popular opinion, of past hurts and wounds, our emotions, peer pressure, etc. And this can sound a bit rough or insensitive, but let's be clear, Jesus is not asking us to ignore our emotions or past wounds or feelings. But he's asking us to go through them. And love 
particularly the way that Jesus defines love as the total gift of ourselves, is the only way to go through them. Love becomes a bridge through our pain and through our wounds. Love heals. It's possibly the greatest therapeutic tool that God has given us. But here in this life, love often takes the shape of a crucifix. When Jesus says, greater love has no man than to lay, one, lay down one's life for his friends, he's not only preaching God's word, he's not just proclaiming a truth, but he's foreshadowing what he's going to do for us. Namely, to die on a cross. And the reason, of course, is because of love. Because God is love. And he wants to show us this is what love looks like. On Good Friday, when Jesus is on the cross, he's betrayed, he's abandoned, He's mocked. And how does he respond? Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. He's loving those who crucified him. And then he says, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. He's loving the Father. And it's through this total gift of himself, which on one level is painful and, and death, but on another level, it becomes a bridge that leads to the tomb of Easter morning, the empty tomb of Easter morning. And the same is meant to be true in our own lives. This is why love is ultimately our primary vocation. When we attempt to love as best as we can, obviously with, in all of our frailty, the way God intends, we are transformed and we become like God. That monk who I shared with in the beginning, he was still like himself because he, he wasn't loving completely. He wasn't in love yet. And so all that he was bringing was himself, which wasn't necessarily bad, but it's just simply not enough. 
You know, Jesus also says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. In other words, when we love in this way, or when we at least attempt to love in this way, people will see, hear, and experience God's love, His very life, through us. Love is the greatest evangelization tool there is. You know, I think we will be shocked when we see, God willing, the, the people who you all minister to, who maybe don't become Catholic or don't convert externally, but because of you, because of your love for them, they know Christ. They're experiencing Him. And maybe for whatever reason, they just don't have the opportunity to officially uh, become or enter, enter the church. But by loving them, you're revealing Christ to them. And they might not have the language or the vocabulary to understand that. But that's who you are to them. You know, a few years ago, I experienced um, what I felt was a, a real hurt, almost a betrayal, by, by two friends of mine. And I remember I went into Holy Hour a few hours after this situation occurred, and I felt like I got punched in my stomach. And I remember looking at Jesus in the Eucharist, and I remember what he said to me. He said, I want you to offer Mass for them. And I want you to pray for them every day. And my response, unfortunately, was like that of a little child. Because I said, I don't want to. Do I have to? And the Lord said, yes, you do, if you want to be free. You can act like a child, or you can choose to be free. And the way to choose to be free is love. The way to choose to be a child is to not love. Our capacity to experience freedom in this life is directly related to our willingness to love. The most miserable people I have met in life are people who are completely self-centered, who will not forgive who won't give of themselves, who won't allow God to stretch them. 
In other words, without love, a person is miserable. If you contrast that with the saints, the saints are the freest and the happiest people because they are people who love. And I think, you know, sometimes we can, we can get discouraged and we might think, well, I'm not loving perfectly. But again, that's not the point either. The point is, are we, are we trying? Are we at least attempting to love? If I only love successfully one or two times a day, well, that's great. That's 20%. That's better than 5%. And hopefully over time, it increases. But we shouldn't be discouraged because maybe of what we perceive as our inability to love. St. John of the Cross says, in the evening of life, at the end of our lives, we will be judged on love alone. Not how successful our ministries are, not how many vocations we have in our community, not how perfect our prayer life or our spiritual life was, but how much and how deeply we loved. But the ironic thing is that when love is our priority, everything else works out. Ministry, fraternal tensions, prayer. Everything works out because God and his law, which is love, is at the center. You know the greatest way to grow in prayer? In some ways, it has nothing to do with prayer itself, because it's love. If I'm growing in love, I'm going to grow in prayer. Now, of course, there's, there's ways in which we can, we can respond and, and grow in prayer, and there's things we should know and all that, of course. But a person who is loving will automatically be growing in prayer. We oftentimes approach life asking, what can I get out of life? What can I get out of this ministry or this new assignment? But the real question should be, what can I put into it? And the answer to that question from God is always the same. It's love. Nothing more and nothing less.
Amen.